Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And today, Chapter 19 of Mr. Stanfast by John Buchan. We'll begin with the last paragraph from Chapter 18 to get you caught up, and then move into Chapter 19. At the same moment, a whistle was blown shrilly three times. The door on the right had opened, and someone who had been waiting in the shadows climbed painfully into the car. Mary saw that it was a little man, and that he was a cripple. She reached a hand to help him, and he fell on the cushions beside her. The car was gathering speed. Before she realized what was happening, the newcomer had taken her hand and was patting it. About two minutes later, I was entering the gate of the Pink Chalet. Chapter 19. The Cage of the Wild Birds "'Why, Mr. Ivory, come right in,' said the voice at the table. There was a screen before me, stretching from the fireplace to keep off the draft from the door by which I had entered. It stood higher than my head, but there were cracks in it through which I could watch the room. I found a little table on which I should lean my back, for I was dropping with fatigue. Blankiron sat at the writing table, and in front of him were little rows of patience cards. Wood ashes still smoldered in the stove, and a lamp stood at his right elbow which lit up the two figures. The bookshelves and the cabinets were in twilight. "'I've been hoping to see you for quite a time.' Blankiron was busy arranging the little heaps of cards, and his face was wreathed in hospitable smiles. I remember wondering why he should play the host to the true master of the house. Ivory stood erect before him. He was rather a splendid figure now that he had sloughed all disguises and was on the threshold of his triumph. Even through the fog in which my brain worked, it was forced upon me that here was a man born to play a big part. He had a jowl like a Roman king on a coin, and scornful eyes that were used to mastery. He was younger than me, confound him, and now he looked it. He kept his eyes on the speaker while a smile played round his mouth. A very ugly smile. So, he said, we've caught the old crow too. I had scarcely hoped for such good fortune, and to speak the truth, I had not concerned myself much about you. But now we shall add you to the bag. And what a bag of vermin to lay out on the lawn. He flung back his head and laughed. Mr. Ivory, Blank Iron began, but was cut short. "'Drop that name. All that's past. Thank God. "'I'm the Graf von Schwabing, an officer of the Imperial Guard. "'I'm not the least of the weapons that Germany has used to break her enemies.' "'You don't say,' drawled Blankiron, still fiddling with his patience cards. "'The man's moment had come, and he was minded not to miss a jot of his triumph. "'His figure seemed to expand, his eye kindled, his voice rang with pride.' It was melodrama of the best kind, and he fairly rolled it round his tongue. I don't think I grudged at him, for I was fingering something in my pocket. He had won all right, but he wouldn't enjoy his victory long, for soon I would shoot him. I had my eye on the very spot above his right ear where I meant to put my bullet, for I was very clear that to kill him was the only way to protect Mary. I feared the whole seventy millions of Germany less than this man." That was the single idea that remained firm against the immense fatigue that pressed down on me. "'I have little time to waste on you,' said he, who had been called Ivory. "'But I will spare a moment to tell you a few truths. Your childish game never had a chance. I played with you in England, and I've played with you ever since. You've never made a move, but I've quietly countered it. Why, man, you gave me your confidence. The American Mr. Dunn—' "'What about Clarence?' asked Blankiron. His face seemed to study in pure bewilderment. I was that interesting journalist. Now to think of that, said Blankiron in a sad, gentle voice. I thought I was safe with Clarence. Why, he brought me a letter from old Joe Hooper, and he knew all the boys down in Poriaway. Ivory laughed. You've never done me justice, I fear, but I think you will do it now. Your gang is helpless in my hands. General Hannay and I wish I could give you a notion of the scorn with which he pronounced the word general. Yes, Dick, said Blankiron intently. He has been my prisoner for twenty-four hours, and the pretty Miss Mary, too. You're all going with me in a little to my own country. You will not guess how. We call it the Underground Railway, and you'll have the privilege of studying its working. I had not troubled much about you, for I had no special dislike of you. You're only a blundering fool. What you call in your country... "'Easy fruit.' "'I thank you, Graf,' Blankiron said solemnly. 
"'But since you're here, you'll have to join the others. "'One last word. "'To beat inept such as you is nothing. "'There's a far greater thing. "'My country has conquered. "'You and your friends will be dragged at the chariot wheels "'of a triumph such as Rome never saw. "'Does that penetrate your thick skull? "'Germany has won, "'and in two days the whole round earth "'will be stricken dumb by her greatness.' As I watched Blank Iron, a gray shadow of hopelessness seemed to settle on his face. His big body drooped in his chair, his eyes fell, and his left hand shuffled limply among his patient's cards. I could not get my mind to work, but I puzzled miserably over his amazing blunders. He had walked blindly into the pit his enemies had dug for him. Peter must have failed to get my message to him, and he knew nothing of the last night's work or my mad journey to Italy. We had all bungled. "'the whole wretched bunch of us, "'Peter, and Blankiron, and myself. "'I had a feeling at the back of my head "'that there was something in it all "'that I couldn't understand, "'that the catastrophe could not be "'quite as simple as it seemed. "'But I had no power to think "'with the insolent figure of Ivory "'dominating the room. "'Thank God I had a bullet waiting for him. "'That was the one fixed point "'in the chaos of my mind. "'For the first time in my life "'I was resolute on killing "'one particular man.' "'and the purpose gave me a horrid comfort. "'Suddenly Ivory's voice rang out sharp. "'Take your hand out of your pocket, you fool! "'You're covered from three points in the walls. "'One movement and my men will make a sieve of you. "'Others before you have sat in that chair. "'And I'm used to taking precautions. "'Quick! Both hands on the table!' "'There was no mistake now about Blankiron's defeat. "'He was done and out, and I was left with the only card.' "'He leaned wearily on his arms "'with the palms of his hands spread out. "'I reckon you've got a strong hand, Graf,' he said, "'and his voice was flat with despair. "'I hold a royal straight flush,' was the answer. "'And then suddenly came a change. "'Blinkiron raised his head, "'and his sleepy, ruminating eyes looked straight at Ivory. "'I call you,' he said. "'I didn't believe my ears, nor did Ivory.' "'The hour for bluff is past,' he said. "'Nevertheless, I'm calling you.' "'At that moment I felt someone squeeze through the door behind me "'and take his place at my side. "'The light was so dim that I saw only a short, square figure, "'but a familiar voice whispered in my ear. "'It's me, Anvimus. "'Man, this is a great ploy. "'I'm here to see the end of it. "'No prisoner waiting on the finding of the jury. "'No commander expecting news of a great battle.' "'ever hung in more desperate suspense than I did during the next seconds. "'I had forgotten my fatigue. "'My back no longer needed support. "'I kept my eyes glued to the crack in the screen, "'and my ears drank in greedily every syllable. "'Blankiron was now sitting bolt upright with his chin in his hands. "'There was no shadow of melancholy in his lean face. "'I say, I call you, Herr Graf von Schwabing. "'I'm going to put you wise about some little things. "'You don't carry arms.' "'so I didn't warn you against monkeying with a gun. "'You're right in saying that there are three places in these walls "'from which you can shoot. "'Well, for your information, "'I may tell you that there's guns in all three, "'but they're covering you at this moment. "'So you'd better be good.' "'Ivory sprang to attention like a ramrod. "'Carl!' he cried. "'Gustav!' "'As if by magic, figures stood on either side of him, "'like warders by a criminal.' They were not the sleek German footmen whom I had seen at the chalet. One I did not recognize. The other was my servant, Gordy Hamilton. He gave them one glance, looked round like a hunted animal, and then steadied himself. The man had his own kind of courage. Now I've got something to say to you, Blankiron drawled. It's been a tough fight, but I reckon the hot end of the poker is with you. I compliment you on Clarence Don. You fooled me fine over that business. "'and it was only by the mercy of God you didn't win out. "'You see, there was just one of us "'who was liable to recognize you "'whatever way you twisted your face. "'And that was Dick Hannay. "'I give you good marks for Clarence, though. "'For the rest, I had you beaten flat.' "'He looked steadily at him. "'You don't believe it? "'Well, I'll give you proof. "'I've been watching your underground railway "'for quite a time. "'I've had my men on the job, "'and I reckon most of your underground railway lines "'are now closed for repairs.' "'all but the trunk line into France. "'That I've kept open, "'for soon there's going to be some traffic on it.' "'At that I saw Ivory's eyelids quiver. "'For all his self-command, he was breaking. "'I admit we cut it mighty fine,' 
along of your fooling me about Clarence. But you struck a bad snag in Hannah here, Graf. Your heart-to-heart talk with him was poor business. You reckoned you had him safe. That was too big a risk to take with a man like Dick, unless you saw him cold before you left him. He got away from this place, and early this morning I knew all he knew. After that it was easy. I got the telegram you had sent this morning in the name of Clarence Don, and it made me laugh. Before midday I had this whole outfit under my hand. Your servants have gone by the underground railway to France. Ehrlich. Well, I'm sorry about Ehrlich. I knew now the name of the Portuguese Jew. He wasn't a bad sort of man, Blankiron said regretfully, and he was plumb honest. I couldn't get him to listen to reason, and he did play with firearms, so I had to shoot him. Dead? asked Ivory sharply. Yes. I don't miss, and it was him or me. He's under the ice now, where you wanted to send Dick Hannay. He wasn't your kind, Graf, and I guess he has some chance of getting into heaven. If I weren't a hard-shell Presbyterian, I'd say a prayer for his soul. I looked only at Ivory. His face had gone very pale, and his eyes were wandering. I'm certain his brain was working at lightning speed, but he was a rat in a steel trap, and the springs held him. If ever I saw a man going through hell, it was now. His pasteboard castle had crumbled about his ears, and he was giddy with the fall of it. The man was made of pride, and every proud nerve of him was caught on the raw. "'So much for ordinary business,' said Black Iron. "'There's the matter of a certain lady. "'You haven't behaved over-nice about her, Graf, "'but I'm not going to blame you. "'Did you hear a whistle blow when you were coming in here?' "'No. Why, it sounded like Gabriel's trump. "'Peter must have put some lung power into it. "'Well, that was the signal that Miss Mary was safe in your car, "'but in our charge. "'Do you comprehend?' "'Ivory did.' The ghost of a flush appeared in his cheeks. "'You ask about General Hannay? "'I'm not just exactly sure where Dick is at the moment, "'but I opine that he's in Italy.' "'I kicked aside the screen, "'thereby causing Amos almost to fall on his face. "'I'm back,' I said, "'and pulled up an armchair and dropped into it. "'I think the sight of me was the last straw for Ivory. "'I was a wild enough figure, "'gray with weariness, soaked, dirty, "'with the clothes of the porter Joseph Zimmer in rags,' "'from the sharp rocks of the Schwartz-Steinther. "'As his eyes caught mine, they wavered, "'and I saw terror in them. "'He knew he was in the presence of a mortal enemy. "'Why, Dick,' said Blankiron, with a beaming face, "'this is mighty opportune. "'How in creation did you get here?' "'I walked,' I said. "'I did not want to have to speak, for I was too tired. "'I wanted to watch Ivory's face. "'Blankiron gathered up his patience cards, "'slipped them into a little leather case,' "'and put it back in his pocket. "'I've one more thing to tell you. "'The wild birds have been summoned home, "'but they won't ever make it. "'We've gathered them in. "'Pavia and Hofgard and Conradi. "'Ehrlich is dead. "'And you are going to join the rest in our cage, Graf.' "'As I looked at my friend, "'his figure seemed to gain in presence. "'He sat square in his chair "'with a face like a hanging judge, "'and his eyes, sleepy no more, "'held ivory as in a vice.' He had dropped, too, his drawl and the idioms of his ordinary speech, and his voice came out hard and mashed like the clash of granite blocks. "'You are at the bar now, Graf von Schwabing. For years you've done your best against the decencies of life. You have deserved well of your country. I don't doubt it. But what has your country deserved of the world? One day soon Germany has to do some heavy pain, and you are the first installment.' I appeal to Swiss law. I stand on Swiss soil, and I demand that I be surrendered to the Swiss authorities. Ivory spoke with dry lips, and the sweat was on his brow. Oh, no, no, said Blankiron, soothingly. The Swiss are a nice people, and I'd hate to add to the worries of a poor little neutral state. All along both sides have been outside the law in this game, and that's going to continue. We've abode by the rules, and so must you. For years you've murdered and kidnapped and seduced the weak and ignorant. But we're not going to judge your morals. We leave that to the Almighty when you get across Jordan. We're going to wash our hands of you as soon as we can. You'll travel to France by the Underground Railway and there be handed over to the French government. From what I know, they have enough against you to shoot you every hour of the day for twelve months. I think he had expected to be condemned by us there and then and sent to join Ehrlich beneath the ice. 
"'Anyhow, there came a flicker of hope into his eyes. "'I dare say he saw some way to dodge the French authorities "'if he once got the chance to use his miraculous wits. "'Anyhow, he bowed with something very like self-possession "'and asked permission to smoke. "'As I've said, the man had his own courage. "'Blank iron!' I cried. "'We're going to do nothing of the kind.' "'He inclined his head gravely towards me. "'What's your notion, Dick? "'We've got to make the punishment fit the crime.' I said. I was so tired that I had to form my sentences laboriously, as if I were speaking a half-understood foreign tongue. Meaning? I mean that if you hand him over to the French, he'll either twist out of their hands somehow, or get decently shot, which is far too good for him. This man and his kind have sent millions of honest folk to their graves. He has sat spinning his web like a great spider, "'and for every thread there's been an ocean of blood spilled. "'It's his sort that made the war, "'not the brave, stupid, fighting Bosch. "'It's his sort that's responsible for all the clotted beastliness. "'And he's never been in sight of a shell. "'I'm for putting him on the front line. "'No, I don't mean any Uriah the Hittite business. "'I want him to have a sporting chance, "'just what other men have. "'But by God, he's going to learn "'what is the upshot of the strings he's been pulling so merrily.' He told me in two days' time Germany would smash our armies to hell. He boasted that he would be mostly responsible for it. Well, let's let him be there to see the smashing. I reckon that's just, said Blankiron. Ivory's eyes were on me now, fascinated and terrified like those of a bird before a rattlesnake. I saw again the shapeless features of the man in the tube station, the residuum of shrinking mortality behind his disguises. He seemed to be slipping something from his pocket towards his mouth, but Gordy Hamilton caught his wrist. "'What you got here?' said the scandalized voice of my servant. "'Sir, the prisoner would appear to be trying to poison himself. Should I search him?' After that he stood with each arm in the grip of a warder. "'Mr. Ivory,' I said, "'last night, when I was in your power, you indulged your vanity by gloating over me. I expected it, for your class does not breed gentlemen.' "'We treat our prisoners differently, "'but it is fair that you should know your fate. "'You are going into France, "'and I will see that you are taken to the British front. "'There with my old division "'you will learn something of the meaning of war. "'Understand that by no conceivable chance "'will you be able to escape. "'Men will be detailed to watch you day and night "'and see that you undergo the full rigor of the battlefield. "'You'll have the same experience as other people, "'no more, no less. "'I believe in a righteous God.' "'and I know that sooner or later you'll find death. "'Death at the hands of your own people. "'An honorable death, which is far beyond your deserts. "'But before it comes you'll have understood the hell "'to which you've condemned honest men.' "'In moments of great fatigue, as in moments of great crisis, "'the mind takes charge and may run on a track independent of the will. "'It was not myself that spoke, but an impersonal voice which I did not know, "'a voice in whose tones rang a strange authority.' Ivory recognized the icy finality of it, and his body seemed to wilt and droop. Only the hold of his warders kept him from falling. I, too, was at about the end of my endurance. I felt dimly that the room had emptied except for Blank Iron and Amos, and that the former was trying to make me drink brandy from the cup of a flask. I struggled to my feet with the intention of going to Mary, but my legs just wouldn't carry me. I heard, as in a dream, Amos giving thanks to an omnipotence in whom he officially disbelieved. "'What's that that the old man in the Bible said? Now let thy servant depart in peace. That's the way I'm feeling myself.' And then slumber came on me like an armed man, and in the chair by the dying wood ash I slept off the ache of my limbs, the tension of my nerves, and the confusion of my brain. We'll return to Chapter 20, right after these sponsor messages. And now, Chapter 20, The Storm Breaks in the West. The following evening, it was the 20th day of March, I started for France after the dark fell. I drove Ivory's big closed car, and within sat its owner, bound and gagged, as others had sat before him on the same errand. Gordy Hamilton and Amos were his companions. From what Blankiron had himself discovered, and from the papers seized in the pink chalet, I had full details of the road and its mysterious stages. It was like the journey of a mad dream. 
"'In a back street of a little town "'I would exchange passwords with a nameless figure "'and be given instructions. "'At a wayside inn at an appointed hour, "'a voice speaking a thick German "'would advise that this bridge "'or that railway crossing had been cleared. "'At a hamlet among pine woods, "'an unknown man would clamber up beside me "'and take me past a sentry post. "'Smooth as clockwork was the machine, "'till in the dawn of a spring morning "'I found myself dropping into a broad valley "'through little orchards just beginning to blossom.' "'and I knew that I was in France. "'After that, Blank Iron's own arrangements began, "'and soon I was drinking coffee "'with a young lieutenant of chasseurs "'and had taken the gag from Ivory's mouth. "'The bluecoats looked curiously "'at the man in the green ulster "'whose face was the color of clay "'who lit cigarette from cigarette "'with a shaky hand. "'The lieutenant rang up a general of division "'who knew all about us. "'At his headquarters I explained my purpose.' "'and he telegraphed to an army headquarters "'for a permission which was granted. "'It was not for nothing that in January "'I had seen certain great personages in Paris "'and that Blankiron had wired ahead of me "'to prepare the way. "'Here I handed over Ivory and his guard, "'for I wanted them to proceed to Amiens "'under French supervision, "'well knowing that the men of that great army "'were not used to let slip what they once hold. "'It was a morning of clear spring sunlight "'when we breakfasted in that little red-roofed town "'among vineyards with a shining river looping at our feet.' The general of division was an Algerian veteran with a brush of grizzled hair, whose eye kept wandering to a map on the wall where pins and stretched thread made a spider's web. "'Any news from the north?' I asked. "'Not yet,' he said. "'But the attack comes soon. It will be against our army in Champagne.' With a lean finger he pointed out the enemy dispositions. "'Why not against the British?' I asked. With a knife and fork I made a right angle and put a salt dish in the center. "'That is the German concentration. "'They can so mass that we do not know "'which side of the angle they will strike "'till the blow falls.' "'That's true,' he replied. "'But consider. "'For the enemy to attack towards the Somme "'would be to fight over many miles of an old battleground "'where all is still desert, "'and every yard of which you British know. "'In Champagne, at a bound, "'he might enter unbroken country. "'It is a long and difficult road to Amiens, "'but not so long to Chilon. "'Such is the view of Patan. "'Does that convince you?' "'The reasoning is good. "'Nevertheless, he will strike at Amiens, "'and I think he will begin today.' "'He laughed and shrugged his shoulders. "'Nouveron! "'You are obstinate, my general, "'like all your excellent countrymen. "'But as I left his headquarters, "'an aide-de-camp handed him a message on a pink slip. "'He read it, and turned to me with a grave face. "'You have a flair, my friend. "'I'm glad we did not wager.' "'This morning at dawn there is great fighting around St. Quentin. "'Be comforted, for they will not pass. "'Your Marechal will hold them.' "'That was the first news I had of the battle. "'At Dijon, according to plan, I met the others. "'I only just caught the Paris train, "'and Blankiron's great wrists lugged me into the carriage "'when it was well in motion. "'There sat Peter, a docile figure "'in a carefully patched old RFC uniform. "'Wake was reading a pile of French papers.' and in a corner Mary, with her feet up on the seat, was sound asleep. We did not talk much, for the life of the past days had been so hectic that we had no wish to recall it. Blankiron's face wore an air of satisfaction, and as he looked out at the sunny spring landscape he hummed his only tune. Even Wake had lost his restlessness. He had on a pair of big tortoiseshell reading glasses, and when he looked up from his newspaper and caught my eye, he smiled. Mary slept like a child, delicately flushed, "'her breath scarcely stirring the collar of the greatcoat "'which was folded across her throat. "'I remember looking with a kind of awe "'at the curve of her young face "'and the long lashes that lay so softly on her cheek "'and wondering how I had borne the anxiety of the last months. "'Wake raised his head from his reading, "'glanced at Mary, and then at me, "'and his eyes were kind, almost affectionate. "'He seemed to have won peace of mind among the hills. "'Only Peter was out of the picture. "'He was a strange, disconsolate figure.' "'as he shifted about to ease his leg "'or gazed in curiously from the window. "'He had shaved his beard again, "'but it did not make him younger, "'for his face was too lined "'and his eyes too old to change. "'When I spoke to Peter, "'he looked towards Mary "'and held up a warning finger. "'I go back to England,' he whispered. "'Your little missy is going to take care of me "'till I'm settled. "'We spoke of it yesterday at my cottage. "'I will find a lodging "'and be patient till war is over. "'And you, Dick?' "'Oh, I rejoined my division. "'Thank God this job is over. 
I have an easy turn now, and can turn my attention to straightforward soldiering. I don't mind telling you that I'll be glad to think that you and Mary and Blank Iron are safe at home. What about you, Wake? I go back to my labor battalion, he said cheerfully. Like you, I have an easier mind. I shook my head. We'll see about that. I don't like such sinful waste. We've had a bit of campaigning together, and I know your quality. The battalion's quite good enough for me. And he relapsed into a day-old journal. Mary had suddenly woke, and was sitting upright with her fists in her eyes like a small child. Her hand flew to her hair, and her eyes ran over to us to see that we were all there. As she counted the four of us, she seemed relieved. "'I reckon you feel refreshed, Miss Mary,' said Blankiron. "'It's good to think that now we can sleep in peace, all of us. "'Pretty soon you'll be in England, and spring will be beginning, "'and please God it'll be the start of a better world. "'Our work's over, anyhow.' "'I wonder,' said the girl gravely. "'I don't think there's any discharge in this war. "'Dick, have you news of the battle? "'This was the day.' "'It's begun,' I said, "'and told them the little I had learned from the French general.' I've made a reputation as a prophet, for he thought the attack was coming in Champagne. It's St. Quentin right enough, but I don't know what has happened. We'll hear in Paris. Mary had woke with a startled air as if she remembered her old instinct that our work would not be finished without a sacrifice, and that sacrifice being the best of us. The notion kept recurring to me with an uneasy insistence. But soon she appeared to forget her anxiety. That afternoon as we journeyed through the pleasant land of France, she was in a holiday mood and she forced all of our spirits up to her level. It was calm, bright weather. The long curves of plow land were beginning to quicken into green. The catkins made a blue mist on the willows by the watercourses, and in the orchards by the red-roofed hamlets the blossom was breaking. In such a scene it was hard to keep the mind sober and gray, and the pall of boars slid from us. Mary cosseted and fussed over Peter like an elder sister over a delicate little boy. She made him stretch his bad leg full length on the seat, and when she made tea for the party of us, it was a protesting Peter who had the last sugar biscuit. Indeed, we were almost a merry company, for Blankiron told stories of old hunting and engineering days in the West, and Peter and I were driven to cap them, and Mary asked provocative questions, and Wake listened with amused interest. It was well that we had a carriage to ourselves, for no queerer rigs were ever assembled. Mary, as always, was neat and workmanlike in her dress. Blankiron was magnificent in a suit of russet tweed with a pale blue shirt and collar, and well-polished brown shoes. But Peter and Wake were in uniforms which had seen far better days, and I wore still the boots and shapeless and ragged clothes of Joseph Zimmer, the porter from Arosa. We appeared to forget the war, but we didn't, for it was in the background of all our minds. Somewhere in the north there was raging a desperate fight, and its issue was the true test of our success or failure. Mary showed it by bidding me ask for news at every stopping place. I asked gendarmes and permissionaires, but I learned nothing. Nobody had ever heard of the battle. The upshot was that for the last hour we all fell silent, and when we reached Paris about seven o'clock, my first errand was to the bookstall. I bought a batch of evening papers, which we tried to read in the taxis that carried us to our hotel. Sure enough, there was the announcement in big headlines. The enemy had attacked in great strength from south of Arras to the Oise, but everywhere had been repulsed and held in our battle zone. The leading articles were confident. The notes by the various military critics were almost bragging. At last the Germans had been driven to an offensive, and the Allies would have the opportunity they had longed for of proving their superior fighting strength. It was, said one and all, the opening of the last phase of the war. I confess that as I read, my heart sank. If the civilians were so overconfident, might not the generals have fallen into the same trap? Blankiron alone was unperturbed. Mary said nothing, but she sat with her chin in her hands, which with her was a sure sign of deep preoccupation. Next morning the papers could tell us little more. The main attack had been on both sides of St. Quentin, and though the British had given ground, it was only the outpost's line that had gone. The mist had favored the enemy, and his bombardment had been terrific, especially the gas shells. Every journal added the old, old comment that he had paid heavily for his temerity with losses far exceeding those of the defense. Wake appeared at breakfast in his private's uniform. He wanted to get his railway warrant and be off at once, 
"'but when I heard that Amiens was his destination, "'I ordered him to stay and travel with me in the afternoon. "'I was in uniform myself now "'and had taken charge of the outfit. "'I arranged that Blankiron, Mary, and Peter "'should go on to Boulogne and sleep the night there, "'while Wake and I would be dropped at Amiens "'to await instructions. "'I spent a busy morning. "'Once again I visited with Blankiron "'the little cabinet in the boulevard Saint-Germain "'and told in every detail our work of the past two months.' Once again I sat in the low building beside the Invalide and talked to staff officers. But some of the men I'd seen on the first visit were not there. The chiefs of the French army had gone north. We arranged for the handling of the wild birds, now safely in France, and sanction was given to the course I'd proposed to adopt with Ivory. He and his guard were on their way to Amiens, and I would meet them there on the morrow. The great men were very complimentary to us, so complimentary that my knowledge of grammatical French ebbed away, "'and I could only stutter in reply. "'That telegram sent by Blinkiron on the night of the 18th, "'from the information given me in the Pink Chalet, "'had done wonders in clearing up the situation. "'But when I asked them about the battle, "'they could tell me little. "'It was a very serious attack and tremendous force, "'but the British line was strong "'and the reserves were believed to be sufficient. "'Pétain and Fock had gone north to consult with Haig. "'The situation in Champagne was still obscure.' but some French reserves were already moving thence to the Somme sector. One thing they did show me, the British dispositions. As I looked at the plan, I saw that my old division was in the thick of the fighting. Where do you go now? I was asked. To Amiens, and then, please God, to the battlefront, I said. Well, good fortune to you. You do not give body or mind much rest, my general. After that I went to the Mission Anglaise, but they had nothing beyond Haig's communique, and a telephone message from GHQ that the critical sector was likely to be that between St. Quentin and the Oise. The northern pillar of our defense, south of Arras, which they had been nervous about, had stood like a rock. That pleased me, for my old battalion of the Lennox Highlanders was there. Crossing the Place de la Concorde, we fell in with a British staff officer of my acquaintance, who was just starting to motor back to GHQ from Paris leave. He had a longer face than the people at the Invalide. "'I don't like it, I tell you,' he said. "'It's this mist that worries me. "'I went down the whole line from Arras to the Ois ten days ago. "'It was beautifully sighted, the cleverest thing you ever saw. "'The outpost line was mostly a chain of blobs, redoubts, you know, with machine guns, "'so arranged as to bring flanking fire to bear on the advancing enemy. "'But this mist will play the devil with that scheme, "'for the enemy will be past the place for flanking fire before we know it. Oh, I wish we had a good warning, and had the battle zone manned in time, but the outpost line was meant to hold out long enough to get everything behind in apple by order, and I can't see but how big chunks of it must have gone in the first rush. Mind you, we banked everything on that battle zone. It's damned good, but if it's gone... He flung up his hands. Have we good reserves? I asked. He shrugged his shoulders. Have we positions prepared behind the battle zone? "'I didn't notice any,' he said dryly, and was off before I could get more out of him. "'You look rattled, Dick,' said Blankiron, as we walked to the hotel. "'I seem to have got the needle. It's silly, but I feel worse about this show than I've ever felt since the war started. Look at this city here. The papers take it easily, and the people are walking about as if nothing was happening. Even the soldiers aren't worried. You may call me a fool to take it so hard.' "'but I have a sense in my bones "'that we're in for the bloodiest "'and darkest fighting of our lives, "'and that soon Paris will be hearing "'the Bosch guns as she did in 1914. "'You're a cheerful old Jeremiah. "'Well, I'm glad Miss Mary's going to be in England soon. "'Seems to me she's right, "'and that this game of ours "'isn't quite played out yet. "'I'm envying you some, "'because there's a place waiting for you "'in the fighting line. "'I said, "'You've got to get home "'and keep people's heads straight there. "'That's the weak link in our chain, "'and there's a mighty lot of work before you. "'Maybe.' "'he said, abstractedly, "'with his eye on the top of the Vendome column. "'The train that afternoon was packed with officers recalled from leave, "'and it took all the combined purchase of Blankiron and myself "'to get a carriage reserved for our little party. "'At the last moment I opened the door "'to admit a warm and agitated captain of the RFC, "'in whom I recognized my friend and benefactor, Archie Roylance. "'Just when I was getting nice and clean and comfy, "'a wire comes in telling me to bundle back, "'all along of a new battle.' "'It's a cruel war, sir.' "'The afflicted young man mopped his forehead, "'grinned cheerfully at Blankiron, "'glanced critically at Peter, 
then caught sight of Mary, and grew at once acutely conscious of his appearance. He smoothed his hair, adjusted his tie, and became desperately sedate. I introduced him to Peter, and he promptly forgot Mary's existence. If Peter had had any vanity in him, it would have been flattered by the frank interest and admiration in the boy's eyes. "'I'm tremendously glad to see you safe back, sir. I've always hoped I might have a chance of meeting you. We want you badly now in the front. Lynch is getting a bit uppish.' Then his eye fell on Peter's withered leg, and he saw that he had blundered. He blushed scarlet and looked his apologies, but they weren't needed, for it cheered Peter to meet someone who talked of the possibility of his fighting again. Soon the two were deep in technicalities, the appalling technicalities of the airman. It was no good listening to their talk, but you could make nothing of it. But it was bracing up Peter like wine. Archie gave him a minute description of Lynch's latest doings and his new methods. He, too, had heard the rumor that Peter had mentioned to me at St. Anton of a new Bosch plane, with mighty engines and stumpy wings cunningly cambered, which was a devil to climb, but no specimens had yet appeared over the line. They talked of Bally, and of Reese Davids, and Bishop, and McCudden, and all the heroes who had won their spurs since the Somme, and any of the new British makes, most of which Peter had never seen, and had to have explained to him. Outside a haze had drawn over the meadows with the twilight, I pointed it out to Blankiron. "'That's the fog that's doing us. "'This March weather is just like October, "'mist morning and evening. "'I wish to heaven we could have some good old drenching spring rain.' "'Archie was discoursing of the shark Gladys machine. "'I've always stuck to it, for it's a marvel in its way, "'but it has my heart fairly broke. "'The general here knows its little tricks, don't you, sir? "'Whenever things get really exciting, "'the engine's apt to quit work and take a rest.' "'The whole make should be publicly burned,' I said, with gloomy recollections. "'I wouldn't go so far, sir. The old Gladys has surprising merits. On her day there's nothing like her for pacing climbing power, and she steers as sweet as a racing cutter. The trouble about her is she's too complicated. She's like some breeds of car. You want to be a mechanical genius to understand her. If they'd only get her a little simpler and safer, they wouldn't be her match in the field.' I'm about the only man that's patience with her and knows her merits, but she's often been nearly the death to me. All the same, if I was in a big fight against some fellow like Lynch, where it was neck or nothing, I'm hanged if I wouldn't pick the Gladys. Archie laughed apologetically. The subject is banned for me in our mess. I'm the old thing's only champion, and she's like a mare I used to hunt that loved me so much she was always trying to chew the arm off me. But I wish I could get her fair trial from one of the big pilots. I'm only in the second class myself, after all. We were running north of St. Just when above the rattle of the train rose a curious, dull sound. It came from the east, and it was like the low growl of a veiled thunderstorm, or the steady roll of muffled drums. Ah, listen for the guns! That's the guns! cried Archie. There's a tiny bombardment going on somewhere. I'd been listening on and off to guns for three years. I'd been present at the big preparations before Luz, and the Somme, and Eris and I'd come to accept a racket of artillery as something natural and inevitable, like rain or sunshine. But this sound chilled me with its eeriness. I don't know why. Perhaps it was its unexpectedness, for I was sure that the guns had not been heard in this area since before the Marne. The noise must be traveling down the Oise Valley, and I judged there was big fighting going on somewhere about Chani or La Faire. That meant that the enemy was pressing hard on a huge front, for here was clearly a great effort on his extreme left wing. "'unless it was our counterattack, "'But somehow I didn't think so. "'I let down the window and stuck my head into the night. "'The fog had crept to the edge of the track. "'A gossamer mist through which houses and trees and cattle "'could be seen dim in the moonlight. "'The noise continued. "'Not a mutter, but a steady, rumbling flow "'as solid as the blare of a trumpet. "'Presently, as we drew near Amiens, "'we left it behind us, "'for in all the Somme Valley "'there was some curious configuration "'which blankets sound.' The country folk call it the Silent Land, and during the first phase of the Somme battle, a man in Amiens could not hear the guns twenty miles away at Albert. As I sat down again, I found that the company had fallen silent. Even the garrulous Archie. Mary's eyes met mine, and in the indifferent light of the French railway carriage I could see excitement in them. I knew it was excitement, not fear. She had never heard the noise of a great barrage before. Blank iron was restless and Peter was sunk in his own thoughts. I was growing very depressed, for in a little while I would have to part from my best friends 
and the girl I loved. But with the depression was mixed an odd expectation, which was almost pleasant. The guns had brought back my profession to me. I was moving towards their thunder, and God only knew the end of it. The happy dream I had dreamed of the Cotswolds and a home with Mary beside me seemed suddenly to have fallen away to an infinite distance. I felt once again that I was on the razor edge of life. The last part of the journey I was casting back to rake up my knowledge of the countryside. I saw again the stricken belt from Serre to Combos where we had fought in the summer of 17. I had not been present in the advance of the following spring, but I had been at Cambrai, and I knew all the down country from Lagnicourt to St. Quentin. I shut my eyes and tried to picture it, and to see the roads running up the line, and wondered just at what points the big pressure had come. They had told me in Paris that the British were as far south as the Oise, so the bombardment we had heard must be directed to our address. With Passion Deal and Cambrai in my mind, and some notion of the difficulties we had always had in getting drafts, I was puzzled to think where we could have found the troops to man the new front. We must be unholy thin on that long line. And against that awesome bombardment, and the masses, and the new tactics that Ivory had bragged of? When we ran into the dingy cavern which is Amiens Station, I seemed to note a new excitement. I felt that in the air, rather than deduced it from any special incident, except that the platform was very crowded with civilians, most of them with an extra amount of baggage. I wondered if the place had been bombed the night before. We won't say goodbye yet, I told the others. The train doesn't leave for half an hour. I'm off to try and get news. Accompanied by Archie, I hunted out an RTO of my acquaintance. To my questions, he responded cheerfully. Oh, we're doing famously, sir. I heard this afternoon from a man in operations that GHQ was perfectly satisfied. We've killed a lot of Huns and only lost a few kilometers of ground. You're going to your division? Well, it's up Peron Way, where it was last night. Chain and Dunthorpe made it back from leave and tried to steal a car to get up to it. Oh, I'm having the deuce of a time. These blighted civilians have got the wind up and a lot are trying to clear out. The idiots say the Huns will be in Amiens in a week. What's the phrase? Pour vous que la civile trinienne. Freda must push on, sir. I sent Archie back with these scraps of news and was about to make a rush for the house of one of the press officers who would, I thought, be in the way of knowing things. When at the station entrance I ran across Laidlaw. He had been BGGS in the corps to which my old brigade belonged and was now on the staff of some army. He was riding toward a car when I grabbed his arm, and he turned on me a very sick face. "'Good Lord, Hannay! Where'd you spring from? The news, you say?' He sank his voice and drew me into a quiet corner. "'The news is hellish.' "'They told me we were holding,' I observed. "'Holding be damned! The bosses clean through on a broad front. He broke us today at Massemi and Esigny. "'Yes, the battle zone.' He's flinging in division after division like the blows of a hammer. What else could you expect? And he clutched my arm fiercely. How in God's name could eleven divisions hold a front of forty miles? And against four to one in numbers? It isn't war. It's naked lunacy. I knew the worst now, and it didn't shock me, for I had known it was coming. Laidlaw's nerves were pretty bad, for his face was pale and his eyes bright like a man with a fever. Reserves! "'and he laughed bitterly. "'We have three infantry divisions and two cavalry. "'They're into the mill long ago. "'The French are coming up on our right, "'but they had the devil of a way to go. "'That's what I'm down here about. "'And we're getting help from Horn and Plumer. "'But all oh, that takes days. "'And meanwhile we're walking back like we did at Mons. "'And at this time of day, too. "'Oh, yes, the whole line's retreating. "'Parts of it were pretty comfortable, "'but they had to get back or be put in the bag.' I wish to heaven I knew where our right division had got to. For all I know, they're at Compegni by now. The Bosch was over the canal this morning, and by this time most likely he's across the Somme. At that I exclaimed, Do you mean to tell me we're going to lose Peron? Peron! he cried. We'll be lucky not to lose Amiens. And on top of it all, I've got some kind of blasted fever. I'll be raving in an hour. He was rushing off, but I held him. What about my old lot? I asked. Oh, damned good, but they're all shot to hell. Every division did well. It's a marvel they weren't all scuppered, and it'll be a flaming miracle if they find a line they can stand on. Westwater's got a leg smashed. He was brought down this evening, and you'll find him in the hospital. Fraser's killed. Lefroy's a prisoner. 
"'At least that was my last news. "'I don't know who's got the brigades, "'but Masterton's carrying on with the division. "'You better get up the line as fast as you can "'and take over from him. "'See the army commander. "'He'll be in Amiens tomorrow morning for a powwow.' "'Laidlaw lay wearily back in his car "'and disappeared into the night "'while I hurried to the train. "'The others had descended to the platform "'and were groped round Archie, "'who was discoursing optimistic nonsense. "'I got them into the carriage and shut the door.' "'It's pretty bad,' I said. "'The front's pierced in several places, "'and we're back to the upper psalm. "'I'm afraid it isn't going to stop there. "'I'm off up the line as soon as I can get my orders. "'Wake, you'll come with me, "'for every man will be wanted. "'Blinkiron, you'll see Mary and Peter safe to England. "'Now, we're just in time, "'for tomorrow it might not be easy to get out of Amiens.' "'I can see yet the anxious faces in that ill-lit compartment. "'We said good-bye after the British style without much to do.' I remember that old Peter gripped my hand as if he would never release it, and that Mary's face had grown very pale. If I delayed another second I should have howled, for Mary's lips were trembling and Peter had eyes like a wounded stag. "'God bless you,' I said hoarsely, and as I went off I heard Peter's voice, a little cracked, saying, "'God bless you, my old friend.' I spent some weary hours looking for Westwater. He was not in the big clearing station, but I ran into earth at last in the new hospital which had just been got going in the Ursuline convent. He was the most sterling little man, in ordinary life rather dry and dogmatic, with a trick of taking you up sharply which didn't make him popular. Now he was lying very stiff and quiet in the hospital bed, and his blue eyes were solemn and pathetic like a sick dog's. "'There's nothing much wrong with me,' he said, in reply to my question. "'A shell dropped beside me and damaged my foot. They say they'll have to cut it off. "'I've an easier mind now you're here, Hannay. Of course you'll take over from Masterton.' "'He's a good man, but not quite up to his job. "'Poor Fraser. "'You heard about Fraser. "'He was done in at the very start. "'Yes, a shell. "'And Lefroy. "'If he's alive and not too badly smashed, "'the hunter's got a troublesome prisoner. "'He was too sick to talk, "'but he wouldn't let me go. "'The division was all right. "'Don't you believe anyone who says "'we didn't fight like heroes? "'Our outpost line held up the hunt for six hours, "'and only about a dozen men came back.' "'We could have stuck it out in the battle zone "'if both flanks hadn't been turned. "'They got through Crab's left "'and came down the very ravine, "'and a big wave rushed Shropshire Wood. "'We fought it out yard by yard "'and didn't budge till we saw the places dump blazing in our rear. "'Then it was about time to go. "'We haven't many battalion commanders left. "'Watson, Endicott, Crochet. "'He stammered out a list of gallant fellows who had gone. "'Get back double quick, Hannay. "'They want you.' "'I'm not happy about Masterton. "'He's too young for the job.' "'And then a nurse drove me out, "'and I left him speaking in a strange forced voice "'of great weakness. "'At the foot of the staircase stood Mary. "'I saw you go in,' she said. "'So I waited for you.' "'Oh, Mary!' I cried. "'You should have been in Boulogne by now. "'What kind of madness brings you here?' "'They know me here, and they've taken me on. "'You couldn't expect me to stay behind.' "'You said yourself everybody was wanted, "'and I'm in a service like you. "'Please don't be angry with me, Dick.' "'I wasn't angry. "'I wasn't even extra anxious. "'The whole thing seemed to have been planned by fate "'since the creation of the world. "'The game we had been engaged in wasn't finished, "'and it was right that we should play it out together. "'With that feeling came a conviction, too, "'of ultimate victory. "'Somehow, or sometime, "'we should get to the end of our pilgrimage.' "'but I remembered Mary's forebodings "'about the sacrifice required. "'The best of us. "'That ruled me out. "'But what about her? "'I caught her to my arms. "'Goodbye, Mary. "'Don't worry about me, "'for mine's a soft job, "'and I can look after my skin. "'But, oh, take care of yourself, "'for you are all the world to me.' "'She kissed me gravely like a wise child. "'I am not afraid for you,' she said. "'You are going to stand in the breach. "'And I know. "'I know you will win. "'Remember that there's someone here "'whose heart is so full of pride for her man "'that it hasn't any room for fear. "'As I went out of the convent door, "'I felt that once again "'I've been given my orders. "'It did not surprise me that "'when I sought out my room "'on an upper floor of the Hotel de France, "'I found Blankiron in the corridor. "'He was in the best of spirits.' "'You can't get me out of the show, Dick, so you needn't start arguing. 
"'Why, this is the one original chance of a lifetime for John S. Blinkiron. "'Our little fight at his ear was only a sideshow. "'But this is a real high-class Armageddon. "'I guess I'll find a way to make myself useful.' "'I had no doubt he would, and I was glad he had stayed behind. "'But I felt it was hard on Peter to have the job of returning to England alone at such a time. "'Like useless flotsam washed up by a flood. "'You needn't worry,' said Blinkiron. "'Peter's not making England this trip.' "'To the best of my knowledge, he has beat it out of this township by the eastern postern. "'He had some talk with Sir Archibald Roylance, "'and presently other gentlemen of the Royal Flying Corps appeared. "'And the upshot was that Sir Archibald hitched on to Peter's grip "'and departed without saying farewell. "'My notion is that he's gone to have a few words "'with his old friends at some flying station. "'Or he might have an idea of going back to England by aeroplane, "'and so having one last flutter before he folds his wings. "'Anyhow,' "'Peter looked a mighty happy man. "'The last I saw he was smoking his pipe "'with a batch of young lads in a flying corps wagon "'and headed straight for Germany. "'Thanks for joining us for these great two last chapters. "'Next week, Chapter 21, "'How an Exile Returned to His Own People. "'If you're enjoying Mr. Steadfast "'and you're an Apple listener, "'please do stop a moment and give us a review "'for 1001 Stories for the Road. "'We would appreciate that very much.' and it helps new listeners find us. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back soon.